just to keep down the distractions, I know that Charlton Heston is not Moses. But it was the best picture I could get for a background. So uh, you get Charlton Heston as Moses um, in the background. This morning, we are going to look at Exodus chapter 4, and I believe it's a very important message to every one of us. Uh, It tells us that God has a mission, not just for Moses. That's the story we're going to look at. That's the Word of God. But the application is, God doesn't have you sitting here listening to this sermon, or have you in this world simply to take up space and breathe air and eat food. We have something to do. God has a mission for you, from Him. And I have to tell you that we are very much like Moses. Moses argued with God. He didn't know if God would provide. He didn't know if he was able. But God meets our needs. And I want to say right up front, I believed this for a long time. If we do God's work, God's way, God provides. We try to do it our way and try to do our thing, we get in big trouble. Moses is a perfect example for seeing that principle. Every one of us has gifts and talents and abilities and circumstances and experiences and connections and desires. And God didn't willy-nilly put them there. He expects us to use everything He has given us for His glory to accomplish the mission that He wants for you. Your mission is not the same as mine. There's only one Moses. There's only one Abraham. There's only one Apostle Paul, etc. There's only one Paul Malfair, too. And I'm not you and you're not me. But God wants to use you. And if you're willing, He is going to use you in ways that you have never even imagined. I'm getting near the end of being a pastor, not not ministry, pastor. And I've looked back, and every step of the way, I'm going, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. God, you've got to be a little crazy, Ned, to think that I'm good enough to do whatever you've asked me to do. And I have to tell you, I can look back now and see that it wasn't me, it was him. I'm not the greatest pastor. I'm not the greatest speaker. The fact is, I'm going to use a word here today. It's the word eloquent. I actually got it out this time. I couldn't get it out in the early service. But it means a, a wordsmith, a, a man of words. <laughs> That's never been me. But God has chosen to use us. And if he has a task for you, he prepares and he provides Everything that's needed to carry it out. You are not good enough. I am not good enough. But He is. And that's the most important part. In fact, is just to give a background here, Moses has a background in being a prince, royalty. If you're going to go talk to Pharaoh, it's not a bad idea to have a foot in the door and know a little bit about how things work in the palace. He's a shepherd. He knows something about that for 40 years at this point. He knows a little bit about leading sheep. Well, guess what? He's going to shepherd a whole nation coming out of Egypt. 
He's also the right nationality. He's a Hebrew. He's got an in. Think about this. A little bit like Jesus. He is perfect God and perfect man. He's got a foot in both, both worlds. Moses has a foot in royalty. He has a foot with shepherds and people who are slaves and people who are his nationality. I'm telling you, God prepared him ahead of time. You may not know at this moment. You may be old, you may be young, and you may not know exactly what God wants you to do. But he will use everything that he's put in your life in a different direction. It's going to be definitely different than me. And it's going to be different than the person sitting next to you. But God wants to use us. We are on a mission from God. If you're going to be on a mission for God, God wants us to accomplish the task. And whatever that task is, He will miraculously provide the power. This is not, have you had your miracle today thing. That is not it at all. All I know is all ministry and everything that God wants us to do is above and beyond us. And He gives us power that is above and beyond ourselves. See, He is sending them to a people that don't know God has appeared to him at this point. They are oppressed. They are moaning and groaning and crying and suffering hardship. They're probably a little discouraged at this point. But God appears to him. And the context of chapter 4 is God is still speaking from a burning bush. Uh, some people may think, oh, that burning bush, Moses, it really did burn up, but Moses wasn't around long enough. No, Moses was there. It, I've been in this burning bush thing for about three weeks now, so I don't think it was that long. But the burning bush did not burn up, and God is talking to Moses this whole time. And what we're going to see today, most of what we see today, is going to be God speaking through the burning bush. And he says, I want you to go and I want you to tell the people that God has appeared to you so they may believe. Moses is skeptical. (laughs) Guess what? I'm skeptical of just about everything God ever asked me to do. And I think if you're really honest, there is skepticism on pretty much everything God wants you to do. But God doesn't leave us there. In fact is, God takes the everyday ordinary thing that Moses has in his hand. He says, hey, Moses, what's in your hand? Hey, it's a staff. What a shepherd uses, a common ordinary tool that is ultimately in the scripture going to be called the staff of God. Not the staff of Moses, the staff of God. Why? Because God is going to take something normal, regular, every day, and use it in ways above and beyond a staff was ever used. He's going to do the same thing for you. I, I have background that makes a whole lot of difference in what I'm like. I'm different than any pastor you will ever have. Praise the Lord. You'll have one with hair and gre- no grease on his fingernails and, you know, all those kinds of Hey, that's wonderful. But that's not me. I'm, that's not me. So God says, Moses, I have a task for you to do. And if you're willing to do it, I will prove to you that I am with this. And so Moses takes the staff and God says, throw it down. And Moses takes off running. I don't know about you, but I'm not a real fan of snakes. I'm not necessarily scared of them, but I can do without snakes. 
And I don't know much about handling snakes. In fact, I don't handle snakes at all. But um, I know one thing. This snake, I mean staff, turned literally into a snake. We know that. Moses turns and takes off the opposite direction, and God says, grasp it by the tail. I have never handled snakes, but I've watched it on TV and on the screen, and I've seen other people do it. You don't grab a tail, a snake by the tail, because if you do, you're going to get bit. You grab behind the head. So God tells him, do, first of all, something supernatural happens. And then he says, do it the opposite of anybody else would do it. Grab him by the tail. And the moment he hits the tail, it turns back into a staff again. God says, I am going to use this to show the people that I have appeared to you. Something that should not happen. And then Moses said, God said to Moses, I'll give you a backup just in case they don't like that one. Just in case they think that's fake. And by the way, the magicians in Egypt are going to duplicate that. Remember, Satan is alive and well. He was back then. And the magicians in Egypt were able to do the same thing. And there's no indication in the Bible that it was a fake kind of thing. Satan, the whole way into the book of Revelation, can do things that are unbelievable and look supernatural, pretty much duplicating or imitating, is a better word, what God has done. So the next thing he does, is says, Moses, take your hand, stick it inside your robe. He does that, pulls it out, and it is pure white like someone with leprosy. It is the same word, the same concept that is used in the rest of the law, where the priests would have to come and they would have the the ceremony and they would be cleansed and be clean. It's the same as in the New Testament where people needed to go down the street and say, unclean, unclean, and everybody got out of their way. Kind of a little bit about this, like this coronavirus that's going around. It's like, unclean, unclean, stay away so you don't pass it on leprosy, and it came back out. What's it going to prove? God has appeared. God has spoken. One of the things that I know about miracles in the Bible, supernatural things that happen in the Bible, is God many times, I won't say always, but many times, uses miracles and supernatural things to authenticate the messenger and the message. It shows that God is indeed doing the work. God is the one empowering this person, not only to do the job, the task, the mission, but also the one who has given the message that they are proclaiming. And I believe that's exactly what is happening with Moses. Pulls his hand back out. It is just like the other one in perfect shape. Now, these two, he can do anywhere, and God does them right there on the spot, right in front of the burning bush. But then he says, I'm going to give you a third miracle, supernatural act that you can't do right here, and it doesn't happen right here. But he said, when you go to Egypt, uh, you're going to be able to go to the Nile, dip some water out, pour it on the ground, and it's going to become blood. Not like blood, not the color of blood, become blood. This is going to be very important. The River Nile is the lifeblood of all Egypt. 
It is where they get their water, they water their plants, it is what fertilizes their land for them when it floods, it is worshipped by them. In other words, it is the heart of Egypt. You don't water plants with blood, you don't drink blood, you don't water your cattle with blood. When he does this, that's going to get their attention. That's the whole idea behind this. And he says, it's going to be blood on dry ground. And they're going to go, whoa, hold it a second. Uh, This is beyond us. And so God says, if you're willing to do what I'm asking you to do, I'm behind you and I will authenticate you and I will authenticate your message. As with Moses, most of us immediately go into this part of it. Because we say, but I can't do it. I've got an excuse. Oh, you've never done that? (laughs) I know you have. I have. All of us have. Because when God asks us to do something, it's overwhelming. Think about that. We have a message that doesn't look like the rest of the world is talking about. We believe in resurrection. We believe in a Savior. We believe in eternity. We believe God judges and holds people accountable. That's not a normal message we have. The message Moses has is one that individuals don't really do. You don't walk into Pharaoh's palace and say, hey, let my people go. You don't do those things and come out with your head on your shoulders. It doesn't work that way. So God is saying, I want you to go. And you are going to speak to Pharaoh the words uh, that I give you. And I will teach them to you. And you are going to do as I say. So that's that's the bottom line of this whole thing. And Moses said, sorry God, I'm not capable. I can't do what you can do. I cannot do this task. I'm not eloquent. God isn't very happy with him. Now, if some of you know my wife and I, uh, and she said this publicly, so I won't get in trouble for this next story. But when we first started dating, and I am not encouraging what I'm going to say next. I was 18. She was 15. I do not encourage that. But that's just what it was. And she was... Still to this day, probably the most mature 15-year-old I've ever met in my life. But she said, I like dating you because, well, you were quiet. You didn't talk. You were laid back. People nowadays as a pastor don't see me that way. They see me the opposite. But that's my natural personality. She said, I got to be in charge. Everywhere we went around here, because her dad was known and she was known and, you know, that kind of stuff. She talked to everybody. She was a waitress. She knew all the people in the restaurant. She talked to everybody. I talked to nobody. And she said, I like dating you when we got started because I got to be in charge. Then you got saved, found out who you were and who God wanted you to be. And then you wanted to be in charge. Now we both want to be in charge. And you can figure out what that happens in our household at times. When you have two people that want to be in charge. Well, anyway, I would have never expected back then that God would ever call me to be a pastor or a teacher or anything else. But here's what I do know. God takes us one step at a time. One step at a time and uses each experience, each step to prepare you for the next one. Well, God says to Moses in this case, he says, 
when Moses says, hey, listen, I can't speak. I'm not a wordsmith. I'm not a man of words, which is literally what that word means. It's not true. The New Testament and the Old Testament both say that he was a man mighty in words and deeds. It's very clear that he was way more than he gave himself credit for. This is an excuse. You know what God said? And I almost used this passage for last week's Sanctity of Human Life Sunday because there is no such thing as a child that should not be wanted, that God made a mistake. You know what God says? Think about this. God said to him, who made man's mouth? Moses, you say you can't, you can't do this? Well, who made your mouth? Then he said, who makes him mute? Or who makes him deaf? Or who makes him seeing or blind? It is, is it not I, the Lord? Now, that's a rhetorical question. Is God says, that child... I made them that way. That's okay. Wow. Then he says, go and I, even I, will be with your mouth and will teach you what to say. You see, you are not capable. You don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. But if you're willing to be obedient, God wipes out the excuse. That's excuse number one. Excuse number two, he said, you know what, God, tails right off the first one, get somebody else to do it. Somebody else could do a better job than me. You know what, I'm going to tell you, if you think you're the only person in the world that can do the job you're doing, by the way, I believe God puts you right where you are to do that job. But if you think you're the top of the heap and nobody else could do your job or do it even better yourself deceived because there's always somebody better than you if there wasn't anything like that no sporting event would ever even draw a crowd because we're always looking for them to go to the next higher the next higher the next higher so he says lord send the message by whomever you will that's a a veiled way of saying get somebody else to do it and so moses doesn't know this But the Lord, who is preparing behind the scenes, says, Oh, your brother Aaron, okay? He's coming out to meet you. I'll get him to do that. Meanwhile, it says, The anger of the Lord burned against Moses. Because God had personally appeared to him, personally asked him to do this. And Moses is saying, I really don't want to. Get somebody else to do it. Now, here's what you have. You have Moses missing some of the blessing. See, every time that you are disobedient and you do not follow the Lord or go on the mission he asks you to do or do it his way, he doesn't strike us dead necessarily. He could do that if he chose to. But we miss the ultimate blessing and we miss seeing God work in ways we never thought possible. He is going to work in ways you never even thought he could work in your life. And uh, so he said, okay, here's what's going to happen is um, he shall speak for you to the people. So he's going to be what we would call an ambassador. And Moses, he will be a mouth for you and you will be as God to him. 
So what do we have now? We have a little bit of a complicated situation because Moses was unwilling to do what God asked him to do. And so now you have multiple levels of, of leadership here. And Aaron is the bottom line. He's the ambassador. He's the one that's actually going to speak up. But ultimately, and this is the good part of this story, Moses comes to grips with what God has asked him to do. I don't believe it's wrong to be a little skeptical because that causes you to ask questions. It causes you to think things through. It's okay to question a little bit. It's okay to think things through. But if you stop there and say, nope, it's overwhelming, that's where a real problem is coming in. Let's face it. We all look back and we look at people like Moses and we, we admire Moses. What a great leader he was. But sometimes we forget that Moses was kind of reluctant at first. He kind of made a whole lot of excuses and minimized what God wanted to do and was on the verge of really not being obedient. But eventually he came to grips with what God wanted him to do. And so we have, I think it's eight of them, of ways he came. First of all, the first one is that he came to grips with that God is going to use what he has given us. In this case, it's a staff. What has God given you? I look back and I realize growing up on a farm was a good training for being a pastor because you need to do whatever you need to do when it needs to be done. You don't milk the cows whenever you feel like milking the cows. You won't be in business. And you don't make hay when it's raining out. You make hay when it's sun shining, no matter what else you might want to do. It doesn't matter. If it's in the middle of the night and a, calf, a cow is give, a calving and they need help, you don't say, I feel like sleeping a little longer. You go out and do whatever you need to do. That's good training. I've never been a shepherd. But in Moses' case, being a shepherd was a good idea. And God takes who he was, what he had been using him for for 40 years, and says, use what you've got. Take your staff. He came to grips with that God uses us and uses everything he's put into us. He also, we need to come to grips with making arrangements to follow God's plan. Every time you make a decision over here to follow the Lord, there's probably, I don't know, I can't give you an exact number, but there's ten other things over here that you will not be doing. Think about that. If you turn this way at the fork in the road, you can't go this way also. It, it limits you. Every choice. By the way, even bad choices have that same thing. You can't make bad choices and, and still go the right way. It requires us to make choices. And so, Moses goes back. He's been with his father-in-law for 40 years. His grandchildren are there. And he goes back to his his father-in-law um, Jethro and says, uh, Jethro, uh, God wants me to go to Egypt and I'm going to take my family with me. He eventually does send them back, but he's going. And can you imagine Jethro going, you wouldn't take my grandchildren back to that place. You wouldn't take them away from me. 
How do I know those things happened? Faye and I had that exact same thing said to us. Is you wouldn't move away from here. You wouldn't become missionaries. And we wouldn't see our grandchildren very often. And we're like, we understand that, but uh, yes, we would. You see, when we make decisions, we need to make arrangements. And that changes things. Jethro, to his credit, said, go in peace. Go do what God asks you to do. We need to listen and come to grips with that God is speaking. It says, now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, that's at the burning bush yet, go back to Egypt for the men who were seeking your life are dead. Think about that. Moses is a wanted criminal. He killed an Egyptian. He was running because there was a price on his head, as it were. God says, listen to what I'm telling you. The people who remember what you did are all dead. You're no longer a wanted man. You can go back. You need to come to grips with that. If that was me, I'd be going, yeah, but what if they told their children or their grandchildren about me? I still might be in trouble. God said, just follow my instructions. Come to grips with that whole thing. We need to do what God asks us to do. Think about this. He's going to walk into the palace of Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Israel's my first, my, my son, my firstborn. Let them go. Now here it says that he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And he does that. But if you read, and you, you know from the, the sermons before this, Pharaoh had already hardened his heart. He was not going to let them go except by compulsion. Just remember, whether it's an unsaved Pharaoh or you, if you harden your heart, God will say, oh, is that what you want? I'll give you what you want. Wait till we get to the wilderness and they say, we want the food from back in Egypt. He'll say, okay, I'll give it to you. Uh, You get more than you bargained for. And that's exactly what happens here. Grip number five. Know that God is in full understanding of the situation. This is not tactfulness 101. This is just blunt 101. He said, when you say, let my son go that he may serve me, and you refused him to let him go, behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Remember, he'd been running because he had killed an Egyptian. Now he's saying, and when Pharaoh says no to you, here's what you're going to tell him. God knew the full situation. God knew what he was going to do shortly thereafter. The plagues and all that goes with that. God already knew that. And we need to come to grips with God is way ahead of us. He knows the future. He knows what's going on. He also knows what went on in the past. And He knows what's going on right this moment. He knows all of those things. And we have to come to grips with we don't have full grasp of what's going on. Or what could happen. The woulda, coulda, maybes. The whata ifs. All of those things. We, we don't have a grasp of those things. But when we come to grips with the God has sent us on a mission, we can take the next step. And only when that happens. We can also know 
that God requires obedience in all areas of life. You read this one. Just go home and, and read this through, and you get to this, and you go, hold it a second. Moses is now agreeing to do what God asked him to do, and all of a sudden you find out that he is actually taking a hike toward Egypt. He has his family with him. They get to a place to stay at nighttime, and God is going to kill him. Now, if you would think God would have been doing that back at the burning bush. But here it is, Moses has now agreed to do what God asked him to do, to go on the mission. And now God's going to kill him. Why? I'm not going to tell you that I know an exact answer and exactly how to look at this. But I believe I've got a fair grip on what's going on here. You may disagree. If you do, you can tell me. Or you don't have to tell me either. But anyhow, if you find a better explanation than I've got, I'd be glad to listen to it. But anyway, so God is going to kill him. Then, then his wife, Sipporah, takes a flint, cuts off her son's foreskin, threw it at Moses' feet, and said, You have become a bloody bridegroom to me. And God left him alone. And at that time, she said, You are a bridegroom bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Here's what I believe from context this says. It's only one son that isn't circumcised. The bottom line is going to be this. You can have an external ministry, be on mission, but if your personal life and your family life isn't under control, God's not okay with that. It's got to be your whole life. Here's what I believe from looking at this, this comes out to be. Moses had sanctified imagination. Moses had circumcised his first son. His wife, who wasn't too cool with that, said, you know what, I don't like this. This is my baby boy also. Uh, I don't want you to do that. And so persuaded Moses not to circumcise his son. Remember, it's the guy's job to do that. And so as he's going... God says, yeah, you're, you're obedient here, but you haven't been obedient in your family life and your personal life with your children. You haven't done what I've asked you to do. And we know that God had told them they're supposed to do that the whole way from back in Genesis. And so um, God is going to kill them. And Sephora, and I believe, Sephora, I'm sorry, uh, knows that she would have been the one that encouraged him not to do this. I told you. I'm not telling you this is 100%, but this is what I've figured out so far. And uh, so she does the job that Moses should have done. And she's still mad at him. She throws it and says, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. Why? Because of the circumcision. So that's what I come out with. But at this point, God lets him alone and he goes forward because now in spite of himself and in spite of him being pressured possibly by his wife, I don't know that, I can't prove it, Uh, it is now taken care of and he can move forward. But if you're going to be on mission, it's not just I have this outward thing, it's got to be your whole life. In this case, it was his family. Number seven, God alone works out the details. I already mentioned this, is that God went to Aaron As far as I know, there were no text messages. There were no messages on um, 
Facebook, there was no phone call, there was no email, uh, none of those things. God just says, Aaron, go out into the desert, go meet your brother. God works out details you never could work out on your own. In fact, you might have not even thought about them. God is working all the time. You're not capable, you're not smart enough, you're not strong enough, I'm not, none of us are, but God works above and beyond when we're obedient. That's why I have no problem using the word miracle or supernatural, because everything we do in ministry is supernatural. He is the one that actually does the ultimate work. And so Aaron comes out and Moses shows him the signs that God already had given him. And then they go. So think about this. God persuades Moses at the burning bush. Now Moses shows Aaron what's going on. And then Moses and Aaron go to the elders of Israel. And they show them. And they agree. And then they turn around and go to the people in general. Notice it is a progression Starting with one person, two people, then it goes, it just keeps getting bigger as it goes. God absolutely has a plan and he works it out as you go. You will not, if you're going to serve the Lord, know what is going to happen ahead of time. If you told somebody what's going to happen to you as a pastor and what you're going to have to deal with as a pastor before you ever started, you never start. That's true of a lot of things God would have us to do. And so God just works out the plan. And so the people believe. They heard everything. And uh, God had saw what they realized that God had seen their affliction. God had seen their poverty. Uh, and they weren't poverty stricken that they didn't have anything to eat or anything like that. It's just God had seen their plight. Notice what happened. They bowed low and worshipped. I want to end with that part. Because guess what? It doesn't say they said, Oh Moses, you are so wonderful. Isn't it great that you're God's messenger and you're on mission from Him and uh, we want to honor you and we're going to throw a banquet for you and we're going to praise you. Mm Mm-mm. If you're serving the Lord, it's our privilege to serve Him on behalf of other people. And the end result is always that God is honored, God is glorified, God is the one that is worshipped. The glory goes to the one who does the real work. Does He use us? Absolutely. Is it wrong to encourage, compliment other people? Hey, at Garden Chapel, we do it all the time. We, we have a round of applause for someone who does something uh, up here on this stage. We write letters, and we encourage you to do those things. Nothing wrong with those things. It's great to hear stories of how God works. And I'm thankful for Rhonda, that she is where God wants her to be, and God's using her. And, and I'm, I'm sitting up here thinking, man, this is really neat that we as a church can support her. And I'm going to tell her, well, I'm telling you from public now, but I was going to tell her afterwards, but I'm doing it now. But you know what? Nothing wrong with that. But remember, that's not the goal. That is not the goal. It's never the goal. The goal is that the end result of our mission, our ministry, whatever it is in life, that people would glorify 
God. They would worship Him. The New Testament says, and I think Peter is going to use this sometime this year, but it says, Jesus said, uh, people will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Not pat you on the back, but glorify God. Our purpose, our mission ultimately is to point people to Christ, to God, the one who is worthy and praise him that he is willing to even use Moses, the reluctant messenger. You in the mission that he has for you. You want to be a part of it? You want to see the blessing? You want to glorify God and see others glorifying God? The end result of all ministry is that more people will worship God. Yes, some will get saved, some will be encouraged, some will be challenged, all of those things, taught, whatever. But the end result is that God is glorified in everything. Think that through. I believe it's a, a, a core cause, a core value, a core principle that all of us need. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, thank you so much for all the blessings that you have given us. And Lord, we all know where we come from. We all know the excuses we've made. We also know the journey we've been on. We, we also have seen you work. Our goal is to be obedient to the mission you've sent us on as individuals. And Lord, the ultimate is that we want people to worship you and to bow before you. Lord, I pray that we would have that attitude, that we will put that into practice in our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God. And by all means, be obedient.